this morning and turn to the book of 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. We'll be in 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1. Can you do two things at one time? Can you listen to me while also turning to 1 Thessalonians chapter 1? How many of you would agree with this statement? And it's a very profound statement. The internet has drastically changed our culture. Would you agree with that? The internet has drastically changed our culture. Matter of fact, we could even say it this way. The internet has not just drastically changed our culture, it's changed all cultures. It's changed humanity completely. Now, I can see in your eyes that some of you are excited and you're gripping to the edge of your seat and saying, oh man, oh man, this is the day. Lamar is going to hound in on the internet. He's gonna be rep- begin to reprimand. I'm actually not gonna do that this morning. I'm gonna make another profound statement and say this. I love the internet. I love it. I mean, it's a great resource. It's a great tool, and it's something, matter of fact, this is where I got the sermon outlined this morning. I just went, and I typed in good sermons, and I downloaded this this morning, and so I really love the internet. I'm just kidding. Everybody knows Becky writes my sermons, but anyway. No, I love the internet. I appreciate the internet, and uh, I, I, I mean, again, I do want to say this. The internet can be a very, very, very dangerous thing. And you ought to be very careful, parents especially, uh, on how much time you allow your children to spend on the internet. And you ought not let them spend any time on the internet without supervision, whether through software or whether through you looking over their corner. Never let your young person say, hey mom, you're crowding my space. No, uh, excuse me, you were in my space before. I don't crowd your space, I own your space, okay? So seriously, be careful about that. But that being put aside, I love the internet and I can appreciate the internet and I enjoy the resources we have a plethora of information at the tip of our fingers. I mean, at any point in time, what would take months to research, I can Google in 30 seconds and find out the truth. And so I love and appreciate the internet, but the reason that I'm drawing your attention to that this morning and the reason that I love the internet more so uh, for any other reason than I love the internet would be this, this little site known by many to be called YouTube. You ever heard of YouTube? Who, who does not live under a rock and has ever seen a video on YouTube. We all love YouTube. And, and YouTube has changed our culture completely. It launched in February of 2005. And since launching in February of 2005, something that's interesting to note, in a world of tech, technology and people that spend the, uh, time on the internet more so than any other time in history, YouTube actually accounts for 17% of all internet traffic. That's a lot. Billions of people every single day, even as I speak right now, are on the internet and 17% of them are on YouTube. And so why is YouTube so popular? Here's a a couple reasons why YouTube is popular. How-to videos and do-it-yourself videos. Uh, Be honest with me this morning. How many of you, before you do anything, you will go on YouTube and research how to do it? Do-it-yourself videos, you want to put in your flooring, no problem. You just YouTube it and figure out how to put your flooring in. I just bought a truck. It's a 19, or got a truck. It was given to me. 1972 Ford F-250. Brother Olzak was helping me look at it. And without Brother Olzak and Brother Larry and guys like that, I'd be hopeless. But I can do one thing. I can get on YouTube and I can find out how to change an alternator. I can get on YouTube and find out how to change a timing belt. I can get on YouTube and find out how to change just about anything on that truck. I have a plethora of information and it's all on YouTube. Do-it-yourself videos and how-to videos. What about this one? Product review and unboxing videos. Product review. How many of you, before you purchase an item, you compare it to other items through a video tutorial on YouTube? I have my phone, it's a Galaxy S10. Before I bought it, I compared it to other phones by watching some Asian guy on, on, the, on the screen tell me why I should buy this phone versus buying another phone. I, I did all my product reviews and that's why I purchased this phone. The very case, the case that I have, the Pelican case, military grade. 
It's a nice case. I can, my son can throw it across the room and it shouldn't break. And so I did not buy this case in a store. I bought this case on Amazon and I did not go to Amazon to purchase that case before first going to YouTube and comparing this case to other cases. Am I the only one? Am I crazy? Do we not do that? Product reviews, unboxing. Man, this is the dumbest thing, but there are literally millions and millions, nay, billions of views. I believe one of the most viewed YouTube videos is actually this guy. He owns a channel. It's the most subscribed channel, I think, on YouTube. And all he does is open little eggs with toys inside and there are billions of views I'm not lying look it up there's this guy that goes and he just opens eggs and he just shows you what's in them and he goes to the next one and it's like 10 minutes of that but it's I mean that's why YouTube is popular for crazy things like that you got uh, okay ladies here we here we go haul and makeup video tutorials how many of you ladies be honest you're in church you wouldn't lie how many of you ladies have ever gone on YouTube and you have looked at a video tutorial on how to, uh, how to put on this particular makeup uh, item. Come on, ladies, be honest. You look at her, and she looks like the swamp monster before, and then all of a sudden, by the end of the video, she looks like this beautiful model. And we love looking at that stuff. Ladies spend many a time. My wife gave birth yesterday, and, and not even a couple minutes after she gave birth, she was on YouTube watching a video tutorial of some lady putting on makeup. We love it. I mean, the ladies love it. All right, here's another one. Gaming videos. Gaming videos. Now, check this out. You don't go to YouTube to play the games, but you go to YouTube to watch people play the games. Now, most of you baby boomers and everybody older than that is like, what in the world? Why would someone do that? But millennials, help me out. Is that not a, not a hot commodity going online and watching some guy play video games? Uh, uh, Luke, Brother Luke, uh, my brother-in-law works over at Epic Games, and I asked him yesterday when we were in the hospital, there's this guy, I'm going to say his name, and if you know his name, raise your hand. There's this guy that plays Fortnite, and his name is Ninja. Look around. Everybody knows who he is. And I, I, we kind of, I asked him, how much does he make per month on these videos? And all it is, here it is, adults, mature adults in here. All he does is he plays Fortnite and records it, and people come and watch it. And he makes money off of that, possibly a million dollars a month that he makes from playing video games and other people watching him play these video games. I don't understand it, but anyways. All right, here's another one, music videos. Now, music videos, it actually accounts for the most traffic on YouTube. More people go to YouTube to watch mu music videos than any other thing. They'll go on, and I I'm not gonna go into all these dumb videos and these stupid, don't make stupid people, I shouldn't say stupid, don't make dumb people famous, okay? Can we just say that? But nonetheless, there's these dumb people that are, that are on there, and they have billions of views. People have come from all over the internet to watch them sing this song while they dance around. Music videos. Now, all of that, those are different genres of why people love YouTube, but let me tell you why I love YouTube, and I think why a lot of us might, in this room might, uh, you might agree with me why you love YouTube, and it's for a different reason. It's actually for the reason I believe that YouTube was launched back in February of 2005, and here's the reason. Are you ready? You don't look ready. Are you ready? This is why YouTube launched, and this is why I love YouTube and you love YouTube. We love to laugh at the misfortune of other people. It's true. Am I the only one? I love to laugh when someone else is getting hurt. I love to laugh when someone else's groceries fall out of the sack. I love to laugh when something else, when someone else's child falls down the stairs. I love to, oh man, that was maybe a little too low. I love to laugh though. I, you can laugh at me and you can point your finger at me, but you know what? I think that I've just struck a chord with a number of you because I uh, usually don't pay attention, but now you're all of a sudden paying attention. I'm just kidding. But we all love to laugh at the misfortune of others, do we not? And so this is maybe a first in Wooden Valley history. We're going to do that this morning. 
I've compiled a list, three videos that we're going to watch, and these are some of my favorite videos on YouTube. Now, before we show them, can I just tell, can I speak, I need, I need, a, I need to give you a little disclaimer because no doubt there's going to be somebody that's going to meet me in the foyer and tell me how sorry I am for laughing at these things. If that's your attitude, please, please just don't do that. <laughs> I don't do well with confrontation, especially not face-to-face -face confrontation, and I'll probably just buckle and fold and say sorry. I am a sorry human being, but you know what? I'm going to strike a chord with everybody else and the other 99% of humanity. So if this offends you, I I'd never show anything that's inappropriate in church, but uh, if this offends you or if it hurts your feelings, please don't come to me and talk to me. You can take it up with pastor and he can fire me when he gets back, but he won't fire me because I have a granddaughter now. <laughs> All right. Let's show the first video. Ready? You can watch. And you're allowed to laugh. <clears throat> it's a very easy situation to operate. You just push the buttons in right here on, on the two sides, the two little buttons. And all you do is push them in, and that will release it. And what, right here. Push the button in, that releases it. And then after you let go, it locks firmly in place. So really, you're all set. And this is tough. It is? This, listen, give you an example. Say you have a, you know, you have to get up on the wall, high ceiling, vault right. the ceiling. Hey, listen, just walk right up. And I tell you, it's very safe, it's durable, and Girl, it's lightweight. you scaring me. So really, <laughs> see, now it's locked in place, okay? So really, you say, oh, Harold, are you okay? Actually, I didn't have to Listen, 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 listen. You have to lock it. Once you lock it, you're okay. But it is very safe to operate. <laughs> so. All right, that's the first video. Man in the video is named Harold McCoo. How many of you knew his name? A couple of you knew his name. Um, I figured that no one would know his name because no one knows who Harold McCoo is. Harold McCoo is the guy that was in the video. You heard the lady say, oh my word, Harold, are you okay? That's Harold McCoo, but no one knows him as Harold McCoo. Forever, in, for the rest of eternity, eternity, he'll be known as this, the latter guy. He's the latter guy. Let's play a guessing game. How many of you think that Harold McCoo, the latter guy, got one million views? One million views? All right, how many say two million? How many of you say four million? Harold McCoo, if you were to take this video and other videos of, of other accounts that uploaded this video and you were to combine them together on YouTube alone, got six million views. Six million people have laughed, or one person six million times, has probably me, has laughed at Harold McCoo and, and uh, the latter guy. No one knows him. Again, he went viral. He doesn't, he's not known as Harold McCoo. Everybody knows, if you, at least millennials. Hey, do you know Harold McCoo? No. Do you know the latter guy? That guy. That's funny. I've seen that. Went viral. Six million views. Play the second one. These are filled with grapes. What kind of grapes? These are filled with Chambersin grapes. And the winner this Saturday, who's music, eating international foods, having wine tours and tasting, vineyard tours, seminars, arts and crafts. It's a lot of fun. A whole day. Stop. Oh, stop. Listen, listen. Listen, listen. Oh, no. Listen, oh, listen, listen. She's listen. actually hurt. No, there. I think she is. Yeah, she's Ouch. hurt. She took a hard fall off there. Okay. Boy, gosh, I hope she's okay. Okay. Mm. We're going to make sure she is. We'll try yeah. and check on her. How did they keep their composure? I have no idea. I would never, I don't have a future as, as being a news anchor because I would laugh every time. Uh, I'm serious. I, I, they kept their composure very well. But that lady in the video that fell, the lady that was making all sorts of noises when she fell and everything like that, that lady is Melissa, I believe it's Sanders. Melissa Sanders, no one knows her name. No one knows her name, but everybody knows her as the grape lady. 
the grape lady, I mean, again, I've seen that video a half dozen times, and I know a lot of people who have seen it and sent it to me. Okay, let's play the guessing game. How many of you think that Melissa Sanders, the grape lady, had, let's just start at 6 million views? Okay, you've learned. What about, uh, let's go up to 10 million? 10 million? 20 million? 25 million? If you were to take all of the uploads of different channels that have uploaded this video and on YouTube alone accumulate them into one number, it would be about 26 million views. 26 million people have laughed over and over and over again at Harold McCoo, not Harold McCoo, at, at, uh, at uh, Melissa Sanders, the grape lady, falling just like she did. And matter of fact, it's made its way into parody videos. It's made its way into mainstream television. I mean, this lady went viral and no one knows her name. Everybody knows her as the grape lady. I forgot to mention this. Interesting fact, that was recorded back in the 1990s as was Harold McCoo's video back in the 1990s. But mainstream, or excuse, excuse me, online streaming didn't become popular until the early 2000s. So it just remained dormant, just waiting to be discovered. So that's not since it happened. That's since YouTube and main, uh, excuse me, video streaming became popular on the internet. 26 million views. Great lady. This last one's a little bit more familiar. Play the video. Charlie. <laughs> Charlie bit me. I just want to know this. How many of you, that was your first time watching that? I got to be a part of the first time that you watched Charlie Bit My Finger? That's awesome. In the video is Charles and, uh, let's see, Charles and Harry Carr. Charles and Harry Carr. Obviously, Charles is the one that bit the finger, and Harry is the one who stuck his finger in Charlie's mouth. But no one knows them by Har uh, Charles and Harry Carr. Everyone knows them as the Charlie Bit My Finger kids. Again, how many of you have seen Charlie Bit My Finger? Charlie Bit My Finger was released in 2007, and in 2007, uh, the parents, that was just like, they were just recording in their living room, and they thought it would be funny, and they started recording. Uh, by the way, always be ready. You never know when you're going to make it big with your kids. But anyways, so they were recording, and they uploaded it to a private server and just uh, uh, sent it out to some friends and family, and they all said the same thing. This is hilarious. You need to make this public so that we can share it, and since then, how many of you want to take a guess? Let's start high. Let's start, where do we start at? 26 million? It's 26 million. How many of you think, let's go up large increments, 100 million views? How many of you think 200 million views? 500 million views? 700 million views? 800 million views? Just YouTube alone, now don't go ah yet, just YouTube alone, if you were to take Charlie Bit My Finger, just that video alone, and you did not even accumulate all of the other uploads of people that would copyright it and then upload it themselves, that video alone, Charlie Bit My Finger, the original, has over 8,600, uh, excuse me, 8, 868 million views. But hold on a second. I actually went through the process of trying to discover in my deep theological ser sermon study this week, 
How many views does it have total on the internet? Can you take a guess? Over seven billion views. Or excuse me, six billion views. Six billion views, six billion times that video has been played. There's about, let's say that there's 200 people in this room right now. If 200 people were to watch Charlie Bit My Finger, in order for us to get to six billion views, we'd have to all watch it 30 million times. Put in perspective, Charlie Bit My Finger. I mean, uh, when you, what's interesting to consider, and, and again, has the internet not changed our culture? YouTube has changed our culture. What's interesting to consider, and the reason that I'm bringing our attention to these videos and we're having a good time, and by the way, again, I hope I did not offend anybody by showing those, uh, but if I did, take it up with Pastor, seriously. I, I, don't, I don't wanna talk to anybody. I'm not good with confrontation that way. But anyways, what's interesting to note is that all of these people were relatively normal people before they gained popularity. They were living relatively normal lives. Again, Charlie bit my finger, uh, Charles, and you've got uh, Harry Carr, and you've got Melissa, and you've got Harold. All of these people were living relatively normal lives until their actions went viral. Until their actions went viral and one view became uh, 10 views and 10 views became a million views and a million views became, for some, 6 billion views. In the first 24 hours of Charlie bit my finger, he gained 2 million views in the first 24 hours alone. Their actions were plastered all over the world, or excuse me, all over the internet for all the world to see, and we could say it this way, their actions went viral, okay? Most of us, if not all of us, have seen that video or, or uh, some sort of video that has millions of views, and it's really just, and again, I, I just want to walk around with a GoPro and just record what happens in life. People make millions and millions of dollars since the invention of this site, YouTube, and the internet. What are they wanting? They want to go viral, they want to go viral. I talked to Brother, Dave, uh, Brother David uh, uh, Robertson that's up there, and I, I asked him, I was baptizing the day that Pastor fell, and I asked him, did we catch it? Because there's a lot of debt that we have to pay off. And we could pay it off in one lump sum, but he missed it. Man, bummer. He missed it. Yeah, I mean, literally, you could hear Pastor falling, but the camera was in the view, it was in the peripheral view of the, uh, of the baptistry, but, so we missed it. Missed an opportunity, but... It would be awesome if, if, we would, if we would go viral. It'd be awesome if we uploaded a video of somebody taking a fall. It'd be awesome if we uploaded a video of something happening to us and we were to go viral, gain popularity, maybe even gain monetary, monetarily, gain some money out of it. We all want to go viral. People want to go viral. Now, any reasonable thinking human being who's been attending this church for very long is asking this question. Lamar, what on earth does that have anything to do with 1 Thessalonians? We're going to see this morning. Look at 1 Thessalonians chapter number 1 with me. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse number 1. We'll just look at this first chapter. The Bible says, Paul and Silvanus, that's Silas, and Timotheus, that's Timothy. So Paul and Silas and Timothy, unto the church of the Thessalonians, which uh, is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace from, our, uh, from, from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God, for our gospel, excuse me, in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren beloved, your election of God, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. As ye know what manner of men were, uh, we were among you uh, for your sake, uh, verse 6, and ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost verse 7 so that ye were in samples to all that believed in Macedonia and Achaia verse 8 
For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place your faith to God word is spread abroad so that we need not speak anything. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven uh, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Go back to verse 8. I want you to draw your attention to verse number 8. And I want us to read aloud verse number 8 together uh, simultaneously. Ready? Begin. For from you sounded out the word of the Lord, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith to Godward is spread abroad, so that we need not to speak anything. This morning for just a few moments, and I know we've taken some time. I'm mindful of the time, but I just want to talk to you about this subject in light of our text. Viral faith, viral faith, or we could say it this way, the viral faith of the Thessalonian church. The viral faith of the Thessalonian church. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning. I'm thankful that uh, the house of God is a place that we can come and we can pray and we can worship, but I'm thankful we can also have a good time and we can fellowship with one another and laugh with one another. Thank you so much for that, Lord. I do pray that you'd be with me and fill me with your power. Empty me of self. I give myself to you the best that I know how. I pray that you'd again fill me with your power and that I would not preach anything you don't want me to preach, but I would preach everything that you do want me to preach. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us this morning and I pray that everybody that's listening would be convinced of the truth of the word of God. Lord, from the mouth of Paul, I pray that you'd help us to see what Paul's trying to say here in this first chapter of Thessalonians. Lord, bless us uh, and everything that we do, it would bring honor and glory to your name in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for reading with me. So how many of you were here last week, last Sunday morning? Last Sunday morning, we were in the book of Colossians, and that's one of Paul's other letters to one of the churches there in Colossae in Asia Minor. And so uh, Paul's written, and by the way, there are several churches. We don't really know if Paul is the one that started the church of Colossae. Uh, we're not very sure exactly who started the church, but nonetheless, Paul had valid interest in the church at Colossae as well as any other small church or any other church, that whether he had started or whether it was small. Here, here's what I'm trying to say is Paul was an uh, avid church planter. And he was at a very pro-church planting. Man, I was grateful to make that video with, with you this morning, and I did not say it by accident. That's the way to plant a church. A church plants a church, plants a church, plants a church, and you'd be surprised at what the Lord can do through that formula right there. But nonetheless, Paul is very adamant about this thing of church planting. He's very burdened about this thing of church planting. And everywhere he went on his three missionary journeys, he was doing one of two things. Either A, encouraging an established church to continue, or he was writing to one of his church plant and encouraging him to do the same. Paul was a very avid church planter. And here's why Paul was in favor of church planting. And we talked about it last week. He was very much in favor of proclaiming the hope of the gospel. That's why Paul would plant churches. Paul would go into a city and he would be moved with compassion and their need for a savior. Paul would literally have this inward conversation with himself when he'd walk into the city, whether it was Thessalonica, whether it was Athens, whether it was Corinth. Everywhere Paul went, he would walk into the city and he would come to this conclusion, man, these people need Jesus. These people need the Lord. They need a church. They need to have a place where they can come and, and be taught the word of God so that they could go out and win others to Christ and bring others to Christ. They need to go out in the highways and hedges. They need a church. He was very pro-church planting. If you'll turn over to Acts 17, we'll do uh, not a detour, but rather look at a different account of this very account in the, in the book of Acts chapter 17. We'll be there in just a moment. But Paul comes into the scene in this major city of Thessalonica. Now, we don't necessarily talk a lot about the city of Thessalonica, but it was actually quite a city. 
The city of Thessalonica, may I say that 10 times fast? The city of Thessalonica was a very large city. It was second only to Athens, so it was a very large and established city. It was the capital of Macedonia, and so he walks in. It's not like he walked into this country bumpkin town. He walks into this large town, the city of Macedonia, and again, Paul arrives on the scene and quickly becomes burdened for the people of Thessalonica. And again, he has that conversation with himself. They need a church. They need a church. They need someone to come in and establish a church so that they can know about the hope of the gospel and tell others about the hope of the gospel. So you know what Paul did? Paul went and he began to look at the real estate and he found the nicest location that he could find with the -the state-of-the-art facilities and he began to establish his church there. Is that what he did? No. He went over and he he found some guys that were wearing skinny jeans. Hold on. He found some guys that were, uh, he found some worship leaders, okay? Found some worship leaders, and he formulated the nicest, uh, the nicest media presentation. And they, man, they packed the house because he, no, he didn't do any of that. What did he do? It's very profound. He went into the city of Thessalonica, and here's what he did. Nothing else. Preached the gospel. He went into the city, and he preached the gospel. And what's even more bewildering is, you know what happened? You know, you're not going to believe it. You know what happened? He preached the gospel. People got saved. Isn't that a bewildering thought? G, or excuse me, Paul walks into the city of Thessalonica and he preaches the gospel and people actually get saved. By the way, gospel still works. By the way, gospel is still the answer. By the way, that's exactly what you ought to do when you're planning a church is go in and don't worry about facilities, don't worry about your worship team and don't worry about media presentations and don't worry about prayer cards. Just go in and preach the gospel. That's what still works. And so that's exactly what Paul does. And again, what's so interesting and amazing is this five-year plan, let's just picture with me with Paul, and and we know about church planning around here. It's not like we're not privy to this information because our pastor is one. So here's here's Paul. He walks into the city, and Paul, like any other reasonable-thinking church planner, is going to walk in, and he's going to have what we call a five-year plan. A five-year plan, and I'm going to preach the gospel, and we're going to establish, and I'm going to begin discipling them, and they're going to preach the gospel, and they're going to reach people. And he had his five-year plan, but I want you to notice that his five-year plan got cut short. The five-year church planning endeavor in the city of Thessalonica got resolved, or it got got deducted to, here it is, three weeks. A three-week church planning endeavor. Acts chapter 17 and verse 1, read it with me. Now when they had passed through Amphipolis, that's a hard word, Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where, uh, where was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul, look at this, and Paul, as his manner was, time out, as his manner was. You know, I love the word of God. This is exactly what they're saying. Paul, as he has always done. Paul did not change the formula. As he has always done, as the manner has has been evident in the life of Paul and probably always will be, Paul enters into the city of Thessalonica, verse number two, and Paul, as his manner was, went into them and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the scriptures, opening and alleging what, uh, excuse me, that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. That's a good message. He preaches the message of salvation. He expounds upon the scriptures and he tells them, hey, this guy that I'm preaching to you, this guy, Jesus Christ, he is the Christ. He is the Messiah. And he gives the invitation. Verse four, what happens in the invitation? And some of them believed. And some of them believe. I think that's a good invitation, don't you? He preaches the gospel. Again, he goes into the city and he preaches the gospel. People accept the gospel. Verse number four tells us, a great multitude and of the chief women, not a few, all get saved. He goes in and he preaches this message. And it wasn't like he had just a couple of converts, which by the way, if he did, it'd still be worth it. 
But he goes in and a great multitude and the chiefest of women, it says not a few, this large amount of people come to Christ because of Paul's preaching. But look what happens in verse 5. Acts 17 and verse number 5. But the Jews which believed not, moved with envy, took unto them certain laud fellows of the Bezer sword and gathered a company and set all the city on an uproar and assaulted the house of Jason and sought to bring them out of the people. Hold on for a second. Here's exactly what happens. The religious leaders and the Jews, most of his converts, most of his converts were Grecian people, okay? So the Jews and the religious leaders that were there in the city of Thessalonica looked at it, and how many of you were in my Sunday school class last week and we talked about this? Just as the scribes and the Pharisees always do, that is not good. We're gonna need to put a stop to this. They, they don't believe, obviously, and they say, we're going to need to put a stop to this. So they go, and they're trying to chase Paul and Silas out of the city of Thessalonica, and they back them up to this house, Jason's house, and then they hear that they're coming after them. So they flee, and they arrive to Jason's house, and verse number five says that they cause an uproar, and they go into the city, or excuse me, they go into the house of Jason, and they're trying to clean him out because they're trying to bring him before the people so they can kick him out of town. And, and I love how they describe Paul and Silas. I love how they describe Paul and Silas. Look at verse six with me. It says, and when they found them not, they drew Jason and a certain brethren unto the ruler of the city crying, look at this, these that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. What a testimony. What a testimony. You know what he's saying? These guys have come into our city and they have turned our city upside down for this Jesus guy. That's a good testimony, and by the way, that's a testimony for us. You know what the answer is for the Bothell community? You know what the answer is for the Seattle community? It's not any of those things I mentioned before. It's not the facilities. The reason that Pastor Farinella came back in 1985 was to turn this city upside down for the cause of Christ. And again, that teaches us that the gospel still works. That was the testimony that these religious leaders who did not believe in Christ had of Paul and Silas. They came into our city, and they've turned it upside down. Nonetheless, they drive Paul and Silas out of the city of Thessalonica. They flee, and they leave behind this little, tiny, baby, three-week-old new church plant to fend for itself. Where does Paul go? Paul leaves, goes about 30 miles north to the city of Berea. Guess what they do in the city of Berea? Kick him out. Paul flees. And he goes and he continues into the region of Achaia and he goes to the city uh, that's in the region of Achaia and guess what they do? Kick him out. We don't want that gospel here. He goes into the city of uh, uh, Athens. He finds himself in the city of Athens which is the largest city and it's just off the coast uh, of, of the Aegean Sea. And get this, I want you to understand exactly how far it was. It was 311 miles from the city of Thessalonica. Why is that important? We'll talk about that here in just a moment. Can we do something a little different and weird? Uh, let me see your Bible. Let me see your Bible. Let me see. Oh, it's not very worn. Have you, have you read it? No, I'm just kidding. Just as I thought. Everybody go to the back of your Bible. If you have a map, go to the back of your Bible, and I want you to look and locate Paul's missionary journeys. And I want you to locate it, because I want us to comprehend exactly how far this was. And in the day and age we live where we have the comforts of modern day transportation, where if I want to go five hours away, I hop in a plane, and 20 minutes later, I'm there. Or if I want to go, I can hop on a train. If I want to go, I can drive a few hours and I can be there. This was not in that day and age. This was 311 miles. Did you locate it? Can you see it? Thessalonica is at the top of the sea of uh, 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 the Aegean Sea. At the top of the Aegean Sea, you have Thessalonica. At the bottom there, you have Athens. That's how far Paul has fled. Paul has fled some 311 miles away from the city of Thessalonica. 
And again, why is that important? We'll talk about it here in just a second. But could you imagine with me? Have you located it? Can you locate it? Just look at it and just, just, just for self-reference, notice how far that it is, okay? 311 miles. So Paul gets kicked out of the city. He goes through this process of getting kicked out of a number of different cities, finds himself in the city of Athens, okay? Now go back over to Acts chapter 17. We'll be there in just a moment. Or excuse me, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. But Paul is there in the city of Athens, and just as, Paul's, uh, uh, just as Paul's manner is that we read about, guess what he does? He walks into the city of Athens, and the Bible says in Acts chapter 17, moved with compassion, burdened looks at the city and says just as what he, just same thing that he had said in the previous cities, namely Thessalonica, these people need Jesus. These people need a church. So he's going through the process of maybe making his plan, and if you could imagine with me, as Paul's making the plan to plant this church there in Athens, he gets approached by some stranger. Hey, did you hear? Did you hear? Did I hear what? Did you hear what happened in Thessalonica? How did, uh, yeah, but how did you hear about that? And no doubt as he continues, someone else approaches him and says, did you hear? Did you hear what happened in Thessalonica? Some guy goes in there and preaches this gospel of Jesus Christ and that idolatrous city, the city that was just engulfed in idol worship, is now serving this God Jehovah. Did you hear? And could you imagine as Paul begins to hear about this church plant that he left behind and as Paul begins to hear uh, about what has taken place, maybe this gleam of pride, not, not a bad pride but a good pride, this gleam of pride and this gleam of excitement comes over his face as he's approached by another person and another person that's going and telling him about the viral faith of the Thessalonican church. He's approached by another, I, hey, I already know. Have you heard about, yes, I already, I already heard about Thessalonica and as he's going, he's rushing to his home and he's gonna do something that he does very often and he's gonna write a letter. He has a history of writing letters to churches. We talked about that just a moment ago. And usually what he does, at the beginning of his letters, if you look at most of Paul's writings, he will do this. He will give a salutation at the beginning, and he says something along the lines of this. I long to be with you. Man, I wish I could be with you. I wish I could be with you, church at Corinth. I wish I could be with you, uh, 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 the, uh, the Roman church. I wish I could be with you, the church at Colossae. But I want you to notice maybe a different disposition. As he's writing the church at Thessalonica, he's a little bit more excited. He's a little bit more excited. Why? He left the church at Thessalonica thinking they probably aren't going to make it. He left the church assuming they're only three weeks old. How on earth is this church going to survive? Their faith goes viral. Again, I want us to understand this is not like our, today, the day and age in which we live in, okay? It's not like someone came running up to him. Brother Lance, did you hear about what happened to the Thessalonican church? Look at this video. It's not like he went up and said, did you read my Facebook feed? Did you read my Twitter feed? Uh, uh, this church at Thessalonica? No, no, no there, were, there were not any of those modern day technologies. It wasn't like they could just ring him up and say, hey, guess what's going on here in Thessalonica? 311 miles away, a lifetime away in that day and age. And again, it's not in the day and age in which you could just hop on a plane and fly there and tell them what's going on. You know what happened? Word of mouth. Someone told someone else, and someone else told someone else, and it made its way down the line to the city of Athens where Paul is, and strangers are coming up to him. He says in 1 Thessalonians, strangers are coming up to him and telling him about the viral faith of the Thessalonican church, the Thessalonian church. Why did their faith go viral? <clears throat> Why did their faith go viral? That's a question I'd like us to answer this morning. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, again, Paul writes the letter as he so often does to the churches, and he writes this letter, and in this letter, within the first chapter, chapter one, we read it this morning, he gives three key elements of viral faith. He gives three key elements of the viral faith of the church at Thessalonica. We'll go over them this morning quickly. Number one, if you're taking notes. Their conversion was authentic. 
Their conversion was authentic. Look at verse 3. Are you in 1 Thessalonians? Did we leave Acts? We're in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. The Bible says, remembering without ceasing, here it is, your work of faith. Your work of faith. What is your work of faith? Skip over to uh, verse number 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols. How you turned to God from idols. There's the work of their faith. They were turned to God from idols. Now hold on, time out, look here for a second. Did you see the contradiction in scripture? But David, did you see it? I found a contradiction in the word of God. It's right there and it's in our text in 1 Thessalonians chapter one. A contradiction. What does he say? Their work of faith. Hold on a second. Titus, is it Titus? Titus chapter three and verse number five, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Hold on, Paul. Salvation is not by works. It's not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but it's according to his mercy, he saves us. So why is Paul telling them that they're, they're, he's commending them for their faith, uh, their work of faith, if faith has nothing, or work has nothing to do with their faith? That's a good question, is it not? Here's what Paul is saying, though. Paul is saying that here, here's these people that have accepted Jesus Christ, but there's a difference in their conversion. They did not just make a profession of faith. They did not just make a profession of faith and say that on this day, I cried out to God and I prayed a prayer. You know what he's saying? It's a word that we have, we've stopped using in our Christian vocabulary. He's saying, no, 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 these people were converted. These people have experienced a genuine conversion because of the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. These people are not the same as they used to be. How do we know that? Their behavior had changed. Okay? Their work of faith, their behavior had changed. In other words, we could say it this way. The things they used to do, they don't do them anymore. The places they used to go, they don't go there anymore. The things they used to say, they don't say them anymore. Why? There's been a great change since they've been born again. These are no longer the same people. They've experienced grace. They've experienced the hope of the gospel. They've been changed. They weren't the same people that they were prior to Paul entering into the city and preaching the gospel. Do you see it? There's a difference in their lives. The people that knew the people, the, the people that knew the church of Thessalonica and the people that knew those individuals that made up that church came to the conclusion that whatever happened, whether it's true or not, changed them completely. They did not act the same as they did before. Their conversion is authentic. Again, what, what did they say in the aftermath in Acts chapter 17? What do those Jewish religious leaders say? They said what? These that have turned the world upside down. These that have turned the world upside down or come hither. You know what they're saying? They're saying, and forget about what they're saying about Paul. They're saying that the teachings of Paul and the gospel that Paul has preached has changed the city so much that it's no longer the same as it used to be. Their world has been turned upside down. They're no longer the same. Look at verse number nine again. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols. Turned to God from idols. Here's another word that we could replace, re replace that word turn. They repented from idol worship. Repentance should be a part of salvation. They repented from idol worship. Turning away, by the way, I love this. Turning away in repentance is not just going towards something, it's forsaking something. Do you understand that? And here's what they're saying of these crazy wacko uh, Thessalonians that are there that call upon Jesus. They're saying their, their conversion's authentic because they were engulfed in this idol worship just like the rest of us were in here in Thessalonica, but they've turned away from that. Their world is now upside down and now they're worshiping one God. Their conversion was authentic. No one could question it. 
Listen, no one could question the authenticity of the conversion of the Thessalonian church because of how they acted after the gospel took effect. Let me ask you this morning, is your conversion authentic? Is your conversion the real deal? Lamar, are you questioning my salvation? Because on this day, I prayed a prayer, and on this day, I could tell you the date, and I could tell you where I was, and I, I, I prayed a prayer, and I accepted Jesus Christ. Okay, show me your works. Show me your work of faith. Are you telling me that works is a part of salvation? No, but you know what works is? A byproduct of salvation. It's a byproduct. When you get saved, just as we preached last week, when the gospel, Christ in you, the hope of glory, when he comes and he dwells your spirit, you ought to be different. There ought to be something different about you where the world looks at you and says, hey, I knew him when he was here, he gets saved, and now he's over here. There ought to be a difference in you. Their conversion was authentic. Matthew 5 and verse number 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your what? Good works, why? So that they can glorify your Father which is in heaven. The world ought to be able to look at your conversion and notice that there is something different about you because of your light. The faith of the church at Thessalonica went viral because of the authenticity of their conversion. Some 311 miles in the city of Athens, people couldn't stop talking about the difference that the gospel had made in the lives of those who had turned away from the idol worship, repented of the idol worship, and started worshiping the one true God, Jehovah. Man, they're there in the city of Athens. You know what they're telling Paul? I don't know what happened, but they're different. They've been changed. Their conversion is authentic. Their conversion was authentic, number two. Their compassion was attractive. Verse three again, their compassion was attractive. Remembering without ceasing your work of faith, that's their conversion. What does it say next? And labor of love. Their labor of love. What was their labor of love? Skip down to verse nine. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Listen very carefully. They weren't just different than they were before because of the gospel. They were found passionately serving the Lord in love with each other because of the gospel. In other words, they were not just different. They did not just forsake the idol worship, but now, now they are found lovingly laboring together and serving the God of their conversion. Uh, we could say it this way. They were not guilty. The church at Thessalonica was not guilty of being a 2080 church. How many of you are familiar with that term? You know what a 2080 church is? 2080 church is where 20% of the congregation does 80% of the work. You know what that describes? Most churches. You know what that describes? A lot of independent Baptist churches. Where 20% of the congregation is found laboring together while 80% get to get reap the benefits. I don't believe the church at Thessalonica was that way at all. Brother Oltak, I believe that the church at Thessalonica, when they had a work day, everyone showed up. I believe, that, I believe that if someone needed a, a need met or maybe they needed garbage changed, hey, can someone take out the garbage? Everybody raised their hand. You know, I, I don't believe that they had a month of witnessing because every month, of, every month was the month of witnessing for the church at Thessalonica. But I do believe that they probably, probably took a valid interest in sharing the gospel in the highways and hedges of the city of Thessalonica because that's what Paul did. And because Paul did that, I have now been converted. My conversion is authentic because of what Jesus did in my life. Man, I tell you, I'm going to serve. I'm going to serve. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to get in. I'm going to grind. I'm going to do the work of the Lord. It's a labor of love because I'm serving the God of my conversion. 
The faith of the church at Thessalonica went viral because news had spread of their labor of love in their service to God. I mean, could you imagine as Paul is there, there in Athens, and maybe he's listening in on a conversation that someone is having with someone else. Man, did you hear about the church at Thessalonica? What, there's a church there now? What kind of church? A Christian church. Like they preach the gospel. Holy cow, there's a church in Thessalonica? You mean that church, you mean that area that's so engulfed in idol worship? Oh my word. And could you imagine as Paul's listening, and maybe they're talking, yeah, they meet like multiple times a week. Can you believe that? They meet multiple times a week and they expound upon the scriptures and they actually go like, they, they call it soul winning. They go out and they tell other people about Jesus. Man, those guys are crazy weird. Those guys are crazy sold out. They're laboring in love for this Jesus guy. Winston Churchill, this was in the World War, the Second World War. Winston Churchill knew that people who worked behind the scenes don't always get the credit they deserve. During World War II, many of England's coal miners wanted to enlist and fight on the front lines. Churchill acknowledged their patriotism, but reminded them of how valuable their work was to the cause of the war. Some must stay in the pits, he said, and others must stay in the army. Both are equally needed, and, excuse me, and for both there is equal credit. Looking ahead to when your children would ask their parents what they did in the war, Churchill said, one will say, I was a fighter pilot. Another will say, I was in the submarines. And you in your turn will say, with equal pride and with equal right, we were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. We were deep in the earth with our faces to the coal. In other words, they had a desire to be on the front lines, but it was not God's will for them to be on the front lines. But you know what they did? They did not sit. They did not pout. They did not question how come they didn't have a big platform. You know what they did? Their faces were to the coal, and they were faithful doing the work for the war. Let me ask you this morning, Christian, is your compassion attractive? Is your compassion attractive? Does the world look at you and say, man, they are sold out because of their labor of love for the God of their conversion? Sunday school teacher, is your compassion attractive? Layman, deacon, is your compassion attractive? Nursery worker, is your compassion attractive? Hey, just because you don't have a platform, and maybe God did not call you to be a missionary, maybe God did not call you to preach, but whatever you do, you better be all in. Whatever your hand findeth to do, you better do it with all your might because this temple, it's not for man, but it's for the Lord God. Is your compassion attractive? The faith of the church at Thessalonica went viral because their conversion was authentic. No one could question it. No one could question that they were really changed. The faith of the church at Thessalonica went viral because their compassion was attractive. The world outside looking in said, man, these guys are sold out, serving, lovingly laboring for the God of their conversion. Lastly, this morning, number three. Their conviction was apparent. Their conviction was apparent. Look at verse three again. It says, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love, here it is, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father. Their patience of hope. What was their patience of hope? Verse nine and verse 10. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you and, uh, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and the true God, verse 10, and to wait for his son from heaven. And to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us. What did, it, where, what did he deliver us from? The wrath to come. The faith of the 
the, the faith of the Thessalonican church went viral because their conversion was authentic. No one could question that they were changed. They also went viral because their compassion was attractive. As the world looked at the church at Thessalonica, they knew this. They were laboring together for the God of their conversion, actively serving, but there was something distinct about this church, something very unique about this church. There was something very different about this church. They genuinely believed, here it is, that Jesus Christ was coming again. They were fully persuaded and on the edge of their seats, fully believing that what if it were today? Glad day, glad day, and I shall see my friend, Jesus Christ. Dangers and troubles would end if Jesus should come today. They were actively serving, yes, but they were sitting on the edge of their seats saying, man, Brother Lance, it could be today. Today might be the day. Today might be the day that Jesus Christ might return. It could be today. Hey, don't worry about laying up for yourselves treasures here, but lay up for for yourself treasures in heaven. Why? Because he might come right now. They were fully convinced in believing. No one else is excited, but I'm excited. They were fully convinced in believing that Jesus Christ was one day going to return. They were actively anticipating it. They were excited about it. So much so that it put a mark on their life where everybody else that was on the outside looking in said, man, they don't care about anything else but the return of their Savior, Jesus Christ. It had such a lasting effect on the, on the people of that church there in Thessalonica that people would actually look and not just notice that their conversion was authentic and not just notice that they were laboring and their compassion was attractive, but they are definitely, it's a very apparent that their conviction is this, Jesus Christ is coming again. Paul said he's gonna come again. Matter of fact, book of 2 Thessalonians, Paul goes in and he has to correct some doctrinal issues because they were just so excited about the return of Christ. So Paul spends all of the second letter talking about that very thing. This was a big deal. This was a mark on their lives. They were actively looking to the sky saying, it could be today. He might ascend. Today could be the day that Jesus Christ comes back and we will be caught up with him in glory. Uh, I, I was working on this message just a couple of weeks ago and I thought of this illustration. Thought of it, formulated it in my mind exactly how I was going to say it, wrote it down, printed it on Friday. This illustration was in there, okay? So I'm not cheating This illustration was in there and I was going to share it, but something very different happened yesterday in my life that changed this illustration. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I was going to say that if you were to go over to my house this afternoon and you were to walk into my house, walk through the front door, it's locked by the way now, I remembered to lock my doors. If you were to walk in, you would run into the piano. The piano is right there and on top of the piano were two bags two bags. One was for my son, Daxon. In that bag was a change of clothes, change of diapers. There were shoes. There were a number of different things that, uh, that he would be able to wear over the course of several days when we send him out on his own. No, I'm just kidding. Whenever we would give him to somebody. And there was another bag. Next to that bag was my wife's bag and my bag. In that bag was a change of clothes and uh, it had, a, it had our, our toothbrushes and our toothpaste and it was what we called our go bag. How many of you have ever had a go bag? You know what I'm talking about. The go bag is for your wife who's extremely pregnant and if she, her water breaks and you have to run to the hospital, you grab the bag and you go. Yesterday morning at 9.30, uh, excuse me, 9.58, my daughter came into the world. You know what my attitude was several days before that? What if it were today? She'd wake up and she'd have, she'd have those cramps or whatever. Hey, is today the crowning day? Hey, that was good. That was good. I worked all night on that one. How do I recover from that? Is it today, Becky? 
She'd wake up and then something would be happening. Hey, it's, it's another new ache. Hey, is it today? Are we going? Hey, I'm ready to go. We got our go bags ready, ready to go. We were anxiously anticipating the arrival of my beautiful little girl, Rory Jane. She was born yesterday morning, five pounds, seven ounces. She's just a, like, literally, it's like holding an empty cereal box. She's so tiny. <laughs> I was anxiously anticipating and I was looking forward to it and affected my life. Every day was not the same because this could be the day. This could be the day that she arrives. And I was sitting on the edge of my seat, as was my wife, just ready for her to come. And you're not going to believe it. It happened. Yesterday morning, she was born. It was a sure thing. You know, just as assured as I could have been that my, my wife would give birth to my baby, so it is that it is a sure thing that our Savior Jesus Christ, he's going to come back. Our Savior Jesus Christ, hey, the Bible says in, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 42, watch therefore for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. And there's all sorts of wackos out there that are trying to tell you on the day, it's gonna be on this day and at this time. Hey, the Bible says we don't know what day, but we do know what's gonna happen. We do, we do know that he's gonna ascend from the clouds and those who are the dead in Christ shall rise to be re reunited with him in glory. We're gonna see our Savior someday. Jesus Christ is going to come back. He's going to return. We ought to be actively anticipating and waiting. John 14, verse 1, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will possibly come again. It might be. No, I will doubtless come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am in heaven, there ye may be also. Jesus Christ is coming again. Titus 2 and verse number 13. Looking for that blessed hope and that glorious appearing of, of, of our great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. He's coming back. Saying it this morning. Oft times, day seems long. Our trials start to bear. We're tempted to complain, to murmur, and despair. What does it say? But Christ, he'll soon appear and take his bride away. All tears will then be over in, in God's eternal day. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of his dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race till we see Christ. They looked at the faith of this Thessalonican church and they said this, man, their faith is a real faith. Their conversion is authentic. But not only that, they are actively laboring in love. Their compassion is attractive. But their conviction is so apparent because of how they live their lives on a day-to-day -day basis, knowing this, this could be the day that Jesus comes back. This could be the day of his appearing. This could be the day of his return. The church at Thessalonica lived on the edge of their seats, fully believing that Jesus would come at any moment as he promised that he would. The coming of the Lord marked the lives of the Thessalonian church so much so that everyone around them, even those 300 miles away in the city of Athens, knew this truth. They believe he's coming, and they're ready for it. So let me ask you this morning, very simply. Is your conversion authentic? Do you know Jesus Christ? Show me your works. Show me your works. Works is not a part of salvation, but show me how your behavior has changed. Show me how Christ in you, the hope of glory, has changed your life. Where people look at Lance, and people look at Tim, people look at Melody, and people look at you and say, you are vastly different than you were before you met Jesus. Is your conversion authentic? This one's a big one. Is your compassion attractive? Are we a 2080 church? Are we a 2080 church? Ask yourself that question this morning. The answer would be found in your devotion to his work. It's a labor of love and a servitude to the God of our conversion. It's the least we can do. Is your compassion attractive? 
Is your conviction apparent? As the world looks at your life, do they see you laying down roots? Do they see you laying down treasures here on, on, on earth? Or are they saying, man, they're actively waiting and they're actively living and they're actively serving, fully convinced that Jesus Christ could come at any moment. The viral faith of the Thessalonian church was that. Their conversion was authentic. Their compassion was attractive. And their conviction was apparent. Lord, I pray that you'd be with us.